You're listening to Geek Cred, featuring Yuri Lowenthal. Hello, Internet. I'm Steve Rickyberg, and welcome to Geek Cred, the podcast that features in-depth, behind-the-scenes interviews about everything geek. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Yuri Lowenthal. Welcome to Geek Cred. Thank you. Um, I'm dancing over here from here. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. Who are you? What is the origin story of Yuri Lowenthal? Oh, the origin story. You, you, you've chose the right technology uh, <laughs> for that. Um, I was I was born a tiny tiny geek uh, from day one. Um, I'm uh, I'm an actor, and uh, most known in recent years for uh, voice acting stuff in uh, video games and cartoons and all manner of things. But uh, I grew up in in Tennessee in Nashville, and uh, but because we moved around a lot uh, when I was growing up, I, my accent went away. Uh, once upon a time, I had an accent, uh, and nowadays you you only notice it. If you've been drinking with me after about three drinks, it starts to come out again. But I, I traveled around a lot. My dad was in the foreign service. So I grew up uh, kind of all over the place. Um, four years in, in West Africa growing up and, and North Africa, Morocco. And then on my own recognizance, went to Japan for a while, starting in, in college. Then after I graduated, I was, I was working for the Japanese government for a couple of years because it was sort of following the footsteps of, uh, of my father. And I thought, you know, well, that's sort of what I've been on purpose or not, you know, trained to do. Mm. But I had uh, since high school, since the end of high school, I had uh, fallen in love with, with acting and theater and, and all that. And so after two years of government work, but still doing, you know, theater on the side and making, you know, little films with my friends and, and goofing off. I thought, you know what? I got to give this a shot because I don't want to look back in 30 years and, oh, yeah, I used to really like acting. I wonder if I could have done that. I wonder right. what would have So I, I figured, well, the, you know, the gov- government work will always be there. So I came <laughs> back and uh, visited. I figured it would be either New York or L.A. So I visited in New York and, and fell in love with it uh, and visited L.A. and hated it and came screaming back to New York <laughs> and spent the next six years in New York uh, just doing every play that I could, an independent film, and really just sort of just having that that New York experience that that you want to have in New York. Mm. And I, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, and it was there that I met my uh, soon to be uh, wife, Tara Platt, who's a, who's also an actor. And uh, we met doing a film together, and came out to to L.A., got married along the way in Vegas, and um, it's been great. You know, it was definitely the right move. As much as I loved New York. LA was definitely the place for us to be. There's just there's just so much more of an opportunity to make a living as an actor out here. There are more more opportunities to work. Mm. And while we were looking for opportunities out here, Tara said, uh, "Well, what about voice acting?" And I strangely said, "Wow, I hadn't even thought of that because <laughs> I should have thought of that right away because I grew up watching anime and you know American cartoons and I mean, you know cartoons from all over the world and you know playing video games and like that should have been my first." go to rather than you know trying to get another you know temp job to to pay the bills and uh which i did my fair share of um we first came out here and uh, so we took a, a basic class and sort of the rest is history you know one little job led to another little job that introduced me to some other people who knew some other people and it slowly but surely uh grew into 
to me working uh, regularly for wow going on 10 years which was always the dream for me you know i mean sort of the, the highest yeah I, I guess that's any actor's dream just to be able to support yourself doing that yeah and that's and that's where i am so i mean Ben 10, Prince of Persia, Young Justice, even Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. You are prolific. Your IMDb page is a mile long. I mean, like 15 freaking pages. It's just ridiculous how much you've done. I like to do a good bit of research for every guest, but I almost feel like there's too much that you've done for me to keep up with. It springs from my, my, my geek sensibilities in the sense that there's so many different things that I'm passionate about. And I think it blew up into into that in my career as well. Mm. You know, some of the things you mentioned, I, the greatest jobs are always the ones where it's, you know, where I get to, you know, I get to voice Superman or I get to be on Young Justice or I get to be on Sarah Connor Chronicles. You know, all things that I've loved since I was a kid and that I actually get to take part in now. I mean, that's that's the other part of that whole dream come true thing, you know supporting myself as an actor and then getting to work with people I've, you know, idolized for years or, you know, on projects that thrill me as opposed to, you know, just, just working more than just a paycheck. Exactly. Exactly. So kind of like what you're saying, whether it's animation, video games, or even live action, so much of what you do is in the science fiction and fantasy genre. So what appeals to you about the genre, both as a fan and an actor? That's a good question. Um, I've been a fan for so long. I almost don't know why. I, let's mm. see. I think it's the magic of it all. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think that I had the kind of childhood where I just wanted to escape, you know, because it was so horrible that I had to find some other <laughs> world. I think it's the imagination part of it and the letting my brain run run wild. When I went overseas the first time for for an extended period of time when I was a kid, my dad had just, you know, I mean, he had no idea. The, the, the gate he was unlocking when he did this because he had he didn't even really know what it was. But for Christmas, he had bought me the D- Dungeons and Dragons basic. Uh-huh. And he's the one who got me like, I, you know, I liked, you know, Star Wars figures and and comic books and, you know, was playing with model trains and, you know, building models and blowing them up with M80s and stuff like that. And I hadn't really sat down to play a game, to play a role playing game. And when I got overseas, it was, you know, it was a third world country. I didn't have a lot of friends. Right. My dad was the one who pulled that box out and said, Hey, this might be a fun thing for you to do with your friends and sort of sat us down. And, you know, even though he didn't know what he was doing, you know, we sort of read the instructions together and he walked me through it. And, uh, and that was, and I was off to the races like that. And that may have been, you know, me really getting to explore my imagination to, to new heights. And, that role playing may have led to my, you know, my interest in, you know, doing that for for a career because it, I guess, mm. it's sort of what I do for a living now. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it is. It's getting to live in those worlds. You know, it's getting chased by killer robots on a nuclear submarine. <laughs> you know, it's. I mean, I live for those for those moments and you know for those jobs and so as as much as I've been a fan of that stuff, to get to work in that medium is. You know, yet another part of that dream come true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what really fascinates me about voice acting is you're a prolific actor. If any screen actor had your kind of resume, you know, they'd be recognized on the street all the time. But you can walk down the street and still maintain that anonymity. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's uh, it's kind of great. You know, every now and then 
it gets kind of annoying. Like I get all up in my head and I'm like, well, I wish people knew who I was. <laughs> I could, you know, not have to stand in line or, you know, get the special treatment that mm. those people get. But when I really look at it, do I really want that kind of life where, where I can't go out and walk around? Uh, you know, and, and, and of course, I always choose that. And it's interesting to see that voice acting is getting a little more recognition these days, what with video games being as, as popular as they've mm-hmm, become, mm-hmm. as sort of in-depth as they've you know, become, allowing you know, a lot of those games create characters just as powerful as any character in any movie or you know, a book, um, and maybe even more so because you really get to, you get to live with them for a while, you know, a lot longer than you know, two hours or two and a half hours yeah. or 90 minutes. But it is an interesting, uh, it, it's always been such an interesting kind of fame that Tara and I thought it would be uh, interesting to to document that in a way. And so we we shot a, a mockumentary where we went to conventions over the course of a year, shot some documentary type stuff at conventions, as well as some sort of mockumentary stuff that we staged uh, about that sort of fame in a bubble that that voice actors enjoy, which is where, you know, you're at the convention hall and it's like you're Elvis, you know, and then you walk out of the convention and nobody cares. So we've always thought that's that's such a weird dichotomy that it had to be commemorated in in film. And and we're just we're just putting the finishing touches on it now. It's it's taken us far too long to finish it, but uh, <laughs> excited for people to see it. I think uh, I think fans are really going to dig it. Yeah, conventions are a, are a fun time, but definitely a, a interesting animal. Um, speaking of conventions, what might be your most memorable convention experience? Wow. Um, conventions have been a great way for us to do two things. Uh, one, to travel to places we might not have ever gotten to. Mm-hmm. And so that's been exciting. We've gotten to go to Australia and New Zealand and London. And we just went to Dubai uh, earlier this year. Dubai wow. has a con. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> Their second year only, but, um, but it was a really exciting show and uh, amazing to see a whole new group of people, you know, find a community. I think it, yeah, I got the impression that a lot of the people who were there until they got there and saw all those people who were into the same things that they were thought that maybe they were the only, you know, uh. the only dude who loves Star Wars or Harry Potter or whatever. And then, oh, my God, there are all these people here who love the same thing as me. You know, it was a very beautiful thing to see. So that was that's one of my favorites. And then. The other reason we love going to, to conventions is to connect with, with the fans, you know, on a, on a personal rather than just, you know, Twitter is great, but I used to go to conventions when I was a kid before I got into the entertainment industry. I used to go to ah. conventions and Doctor Who conventions. So you've been on both sides of that table. Absolutely. And I know how important those experiences were for me. And so I can't help but now that I'm on the other side. Well, I'm, I'm, I still straddle the line because I'll go to a convention as a guest and freak out over other guests and, get, <laughs> you know, not want to go up and talk to them because, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of, you know, either freaking them out, even though I'm also a guest there. Um, but I, I know how important those experiences were to me. And so I still love to, to go out and and see if I can, you know, if, if I can give that to to other people. Mm. Yeah, I can definitely understand that where you kind of run into someone who you know or who you love their work and you're just trying to resist having that total fanboy moment. <laughs> it's a, that's happened on, on numerous occasions. Although I did get, uh, and you never know how they're going to react. Mm-hmm. Uh, but luckily when, when I, uh, I was just at Phoenix Comic Con 
and somebody introduced me to John Barrowman, ah. which was a, a great moment for me because he, he gave me a big hug. And I was like, wow, wow, John Barrowman, if I weren't married, <laughs> maybe even though I'm married, there, there's, there's a rule, right? <laughs> uh, and I love going to conventions also for that, to meet those people that, you know, whose work I appreciate and, you know, where, where I'm a big fan of what they do and, and I get to actually meet them. It's kind of cool. Definitely. So kind of going back to voice acting, some people kind of think of voiceover as doing voices. Of course, you can't see me doing my air quotes over here. But for you, I find kind of interesting because it's more doing variations of your own voice than doing all these kind of impressions. Yeah, it's something that I've that I also was not expecting when I got into voiceover. I, like many people, thought oh, well, if I don't have that deep, you know, in a world voice, <laughs> or if I wasn't, you know, D. Bradley Baker or, you know, somebody who who can do, you know, a million different sounds and, and, and voices, you know, Frank Welker or whatever, or somebody who does, you know, a lot of impressions or characters, then there, there probably wasn't a place for me. And there are people in this business who that is their specialty. They, they do lots of different voices. And it's a great thing, I think, for any voice actor to have in the back of their pocket or in their back pocket, because sometimes you'll get hired, say, on a video game to do one of a, you know, like a main character, but then they'll also need you to do soldier number three and, you know, got punched in face on street or whatever, you know, who just has a few lines here and there. And it's definitely a selling point if they know that you can, that you can handle that and you can change your voice up enough so that it doesn't sound like main character guy. But the big surprise to me is that if we were to go into percentages and say, well, what, you know, what's the percentage of jobs you get hired or I get hired to, uh, to do, you know, my voice versus another voice. And I'd say about 90% of the time I'm doing the voice that I'm talking with right now. And it's a, and it's an acting challenge as opposed to, a, you know, making a funny voice challenge, which can be tough. But every, I always love the opportunity to play those smaller characters because I get to try out voices that, that I love doing, character voices or whatever, really changing it up that I might not normally get asked to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is a, it's a funny place. And it, it, you're right. You know, a lot of people will come up and say, hey, I do all sorts of crazy voices. And people tell me I should be in voiceover. And I'm like, awesome. You know, that's, that's great. But I will tell you right now that the people that I see succeed are also good actors. And that's what they get hired for time after time. Mm. So what is your process with a new character? How do you come up with a voice for them? You know, especially if it's maybe an anthropomorphized character or some character that doesn't really have, you know, a real world analog. Um, You know, it depends on the character and the project. I don't have like a foolproof. This is what I do every time for for a new character. Mm -hmm. Um, The first step for me is always trusting that the reason they brought me in is because there's something natural about my voice that they saw resonated with the character. Otherwise they, you know, would have you know, picked other people to come in and audition. Um, so I have to trust that. And I start there with who I am and, you know, where I live normally. And then I'll ask, you know, if they've got any other information about the character, because sometimes they'll say, you know, he's a young guy, he's a hero. And I'm like, that's, that's it. That's all you got. <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> You want to make it different than, than all the times that that's come before. So part of it is, you know, the, the one thing I can always count on to be different than what anybody else is going to do is being true to who I am. 
criticism that nobody else is me. But then if they can provide artwork, that helps. You know, that that inspires me. Any kind of either get you know, character designs or sketches or mm. if I'm going game, sometimes they've already got a lot of, uh, you know, gameplay demos work together. So I can actually watch some of the game. Or if they've got, you know, often they'll have at least a, you know, a short description of the character. You know, this guy is a hero whose father was just, you know, disappeared and he's, he's looking for him, but, you know, he's, he's not quite grown up yet. So, so he can be, you know, flipped sometimes, but by the end of the thing, he turns into a, you know, finds his real hero self or whatever, things like that. All that helps if I can get the script in advance, either, you know, part of the script or the whole thing, every little bit I can mine from the script, whether it's, you know, lines that I'm saying or lines that other people are saying, it all helps to sort of build on top of where I'm going to start from. And then in the room, there's, there'll usually be a director who is there to also help you because, you know, they want you to do a great job. Every person who comes into audition, they want to be the one who books it. It makes their job easier. And so, you know, I'll, I'll start with whatever I've got. And then I go to them and they're like, well, you know, he's got to be a little younger or, you know, he's, he's a lot nicer than that, or he's, he's not quite as nice as that. Or, you know, he's, you know, little details like, well, in this scene, he's, you know, they're shooting, shoot, you know, they're, they're, they're shooting all around him. And so it's got to be louder or, you know, all those little details come together into the character. And then if I'm, you know, if I get cast, that process continues because you don't get it, you know, you don't nail it completely right at the very beginning, even if you get hired, you know, you develop that character as you go. It's kind of interesting to, to see sometimes if you, if you watch a show, watching the actor develop, you know, the character, right. as, as well as writers too, over time, you know, I've been working on Ben 10 a long time and the writers have gotten used to me. I've gotten used to the way that they work. You know, we've really grown the character together. So some of that you do right away and some of it takes time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Many actors kind of seem to specialize in doing only voiceover or only on camera work. But while you're best known as a voice actor, you're a screen actor as well. How does acting for voice differ versus for the screen and which do you prefer? That's a tough question because they all come from the same sort of basic elements, Mm -hmm. whether, you know, just in front of a mic or in front of a camera or on stage, the core of that is the same. But each of them, the execution, they're, they're all very different. And that's why for me, it's hard to choose a favorite because each one fulfills me in a different way. Like I get a different, you know, charge and a different workout from being on stage than having that, uh, well, a having, you know, rehearsal time, you know, which is a, a luxury when it comes. <laughs> to, um, and then that live audience component, that's a totally different feel than working on you know a set in front of a camera where you have to wait for them to light and you have to you know spend a lot of time in makeup and and wardrobe and there's it's all very sort of all these minute details and you know a thousand people running around making it happen and the performance has to be much like you can't you really can't play it you have to sort of and that's something i'm still learning you know for on camera that i you can't really try to do anything you just have to sort of let it live inside of you and the camera sees everything. And then you have to do it over and over and over again and <laughs> out of order. And so that's, that's a whole different challenge. And when I'm in front of a microphone and I'm acting for, you know, in that way, I, I don't get to use my body to convey the things that I would on stage or in front of the camera. I don't get to use my, 
my eyes or my expressions or my, you know, my gestures or any kind of, you know, physical body language. Uh, it's just what I do with my voice. And so that provides its, its own challenge. But also it's completely freeing and totally thrilling because I can play, when I'm voice acting, I can play all sorts of different characters that I would never in a million years get cast as in front of the camera or on stage. Um, and so it's, and voiceover is kind of the great equalizer when it comes to actors. I know a lot of actors are, you know, it can get frustrating in the on-camera world because, you know, they're only casting a certain type of person or a certain look or they're you know, casting off that. But when you're, you know, in front of a microphone, as long as you can sound like that character, you can play that character. And that's hugely empowering for, for actors who, who normally feel very, you know, sort of not, you know, disempowered hmm. by, by the process. So it's, I don't know that I could choose, like if you, if you said, well, you only get to do one for the rest of your life. I know some people who have come up to me, you know, uh, on camera friends and said, man, you, you know, you're really scored in voiceover. These are people that I look to as, oh, they were a regular on that TV series or whatever. And they're, you know, they're like, that's the life that I always thought it was going to be like, they must be, you know, living high on the hog. And they come up to me and I'm like, how do I get into voiceover? I'm like, what are you talking about? You're, you <laughs> you know, for the winner here. And they're like, man, no, you, you know what you, I would, if, if I was in your position, I would never go on another on-camera audition again. I'd just do voiceover. And I'm like, wow, I guess, you know, everybody's different. But if you told me one day, uh, you can only choose one. That'd be a tough day for me. Um, because, <laughs> you know, if, if I'm not doing, you know, all three, it's, you know, at some point, certain parts of me start to atrophy, you know, they start to wither. And, and I do think the interesting thing about voiceover that I don't think a lot of people realize is typically it's just you in the booth with the director. You're not, you don't have the opportunity to bounce off the other actors. So there's also that challenge. Exactly. You know, that's on one hand, you really have to, you have to let your imagination flow because it is just you. You don't have other actors to work off of. You don't have costumes or props or a set. So you really got to rely on your imagination, which I know as kids, you know, everybody tries to, to beat our imagination out of us, but <laughs> telling you, it is my, it is my greatest tool and my greatest weapon. And also so much why I do love recording, you know, in, in groups because on, on rare occasions for shows like Ben 10 or Young Justice or Legion of Superheroes, some of, some of the you know, original animation that, uh, that we do here, we get this luxury of recording as a group hmm. and it's, for actors, that's always the most exciting because you get to, you know, acting off of other people. You, it, it's always, I would say, you know, even when you're recording alone, you can turn in great performances and some people are brilliant at that. And if it works right, it sounds like they're all in the same room together, but there's something that you will always get that's different from a group read. Um, and I will always fight to do that, you know, whenever, whenever it's an option. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You uh, and your wife, Tara, who is honestly a pretty prolific voice actor by her own right, um, co-wrote the book Voice Over Voice Actor. So why did you decide to write this book for aspiring actors? Uh, we had been getting a lot of uh, emails and you know questions when we'd go to conventions from fans and, uh, and kids and adults and you know people who were who were interested in pursuing a voice acting career because, because it looked like so much fun and, and, you know, it is, 
Um, and then we were also getting questions from you know, on-camera friends or theater friends or, you know, other voice people like, hey, can I, can I you know, take you out to lunch and talk to you about voiceover? Because you guys seem to be doing pretty good. And we're like, sure. You know, at first we were like, great, you know, free lunch. Awesome. Free. <laughs> but it started to come more fast and furious. And we couldn't schedule time with, with everybody who wanted to talk about it. And that goes doubly or, you know, exponentially for, you know, the emails that we would get from fans saying, and they would, and a lot of the questions were the same and we would, you know, a lot of our answers would be the same. And, you know, in the beginning, we tried to get back to everyone just to sort of, you know, they're like, Hey, I'm in high school. Uh, I'm in my, my drama class. I want to be a, a voice actor. What do I do? And, you know, I mean, the thing about the entertainment industry is there's no, if you do this and this and this and make sure you also do this, you'll make it. I mean, that's not, that's not the nature of the beast, but there are some things that we have, you know, we've had a lot of experiences and um, there are some things that we've seen repeat over and over again. And we watch our friends, you know, who, who, you know, start here and then come up and they're, you know, they're, they're doing great. And you start to see, you know, things recur. And so, we tried to get some of these into emails back to those people um, who were asking about it. And then we realized, oh, we, we don't have time to write a, you know, a fresh answer to every person. So let's, let's start taking notes and then we, we, we can cut and paste and we can sort of personalize the top and personalize at the bottom and say, basically, here's the stuff, you know, that, that we think, you know, is valuable. And, um, and even that got out of control after a while. And we realized that we started to have a lot of these notes. And, and Tara said, wouldn't it be easier if we just could recommend a book, <laughs> all this stuff that we're basically writing right now? And I was like, that's a great idea. So we started that. We started the process. And Tara did an enormous amount of research on how you, you know, go about publishing a book from scratch. And it took about a year. Um, but at the end of the year, we, we had that book that then we could recommend to people. And it's a lot. It's, it's a lot shorter email and it's a lot shorter conversation where they don't, <laughs> you know, for, for us to go, Hey, you know, I could talk to you for an hour, but, um, we wrote this great book and it's going to be that and more. So that's, uh, that's how it all, how it all came about. Hmm. And you're, you're not afraid of, of giving out the, uh, the secrets, I guess. No, because there are, you know, there's no, I mean, I, I think anybody who's, who's worried that, Oh, if we give out the secrets, then everybody will, come in and steal our work. I, I don't think that that's a reality. And then we make fun of that in the, in, in the film con artists, which is the mockumentary that we did, which hopefully people will be able to see soon. But uh, yeah. And there are no, I mean, and we say this right in the, you know, in the front of the book, like we're not going to give you some, you know, super magic secret. That's going to, you know, if you do a, B and C, you'll, you know, be rich and famous and, you know, on every cartoon, but we do let people know, you know, this has been our experience and this is what we've seen work and this is what works for us. So people will take that as they, you know, as they, as they do. Um, it takes a lot of, I mean, you know, people come up and they say, well, this looks like so much fun. I would love to do this for, you know, for a living. And we say, yes, you know what? The, the acting part is super fun. Here's the part you don't see. Here's the part where you have to audition every day for the rest of your life, you know, sometimes multiple times, if you're lucky and not get, you know, 95% of the jobs that you audition for just because you can't, 
that's the reality of it. So you, you have to put yourself in a, in a state where you're not, where every time you don't get the job, it's not because you did something wrong or because you suck or, you know, you're not good enough or because that guy stole it from me or, you know, those are feelings that, that come up naturally. And, you know, if you had to go on a, I mean, everybody's, you know, pretty much gone on some form of job interview or some sort of, you know, interview like that. And it's like doing that all the time, every day and not getting the job most of the time. So that's the hard part. And it takes, I think it takes two things. It takes, a, you know, a, a love for doing this because you have to do it for the love in the beginning. And, you know, often for many, many years because the money doesn't come right away. Um, so you got to enjoy doing it. Um, and then you just got to, you got to have a thick skin and relentlessness. So, you know, people can buy the book, but if, you know, they never act on it, then there's no magic key. And, you know, sometimes people read the book and they're like, ah, you know, I thought this was going to be for me. And, and, you know, maybe it's not, Mm. which is just as valuable a lesson, I think, because who wants to beat their head against a wall doing something that they really don't want to be doing? So, yeah, it's, uh, those are the hidden, you know, the dark corners of, and they're not, you know, so dark as, you know, that's where the work comes in as opposed to the, the play part, which, you know, everybody always gets to see the, that part. So after all of that, we still haven't gotten to shelf life. So what is shelf life and what is it all about? Shelf life is a, a, a web series that uh, Tara and I uh, started producing almost exactly two years ago on June 29th. It'll have been two years since we started production on it. Uh, we formed a production company called Monkey Kingdom Productions back in 2004 to try to empower ourselves more as actors. Because as actors, you know, we, we audition for a million different jobs. Um, we take what we can get. And we don't always get to choose those roles that make us sing. You know, like what we were talking about in the beginning, there are certain, you know, I'll, I'll do a lot of different kinds of jobs, but some of them are more work and some of them you know, when I, when I'm right in the, in the pocket, um, it's, you know, when it's something I love, I just, it's hardly work at all. And I, and I really thrive. And we were looking to, to try to find a way to create more roles like that. So we formed our own production company and started making our own, you know, movies and web series and, you know, trying to produce our own content. And Shelf Life came about a couple of years ago while we were actually working on trying to put something else together. That has been how it's worked with us. We're working on something else and this opportunity comes up or this idea comes up and all of a sudden we're off to the races in a different direction. Mm. It's a web series about uh, four action figures on a young boy's shelf, but everybody's played uh, live action. So it's, you know, we're all in our action figure costumes on a giant shelf set. Or if you've seen uh, season four, we're all over the place. We're in the bathtub, we're up in the attic and, <laughs> you know, for action figures. And I mean, it's, we're in the backyard. It's, uh, it's this, this last season has been, I'm so proud of it. You know, it's, it's, it's really gone, gone so far beyond what, what we had hoped this series could be, but I will say it's not safe for work. For those of you who are listening, haven't watched it yet. I highly recommend it, but it's, it's, it's like toy story, but, uh, but dirtier. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You watch it at home and not, uh, not, not, not at work. Um, but it's, it's been a great ride. And, uh, we're we're trying to see exactly. We just finished the uh, the season four, and we're trying to see where to where to take it next. But uh, it's been hugely exciting, and we've gotten to play with a lot of new people. Um, in this last season, we had a lot more uh, guest stars. Really, usually end up being uh, really sort of geeky, nerdy guest stars, like the kind of people I would want to work with or are already my friends. 
so you know and i, I want to play with on the show so you you end up getting people like other other voice actors like uh, jennifer hale or liam o'brien or sam regal or you know people like uh, grant imahara from mythbusters or amber benson you know from from buffy these are all people who we know sort of socially and you know we thought oh, wouldn't it be great if we get them to come play i wonder if they'd be interested Hey, Kevin Grievous from Underworld, would you come in and, you know, and we're always surprised when they say yes, because it's just our little web show. But uh, Phil Chris, uh, who I met when I was uh, when I was on Legion of Superheroes, he's he's been such an unstoppable force of goodness on our show. It's great. I'm really proud of it. Mm-hmm. And Bear McCreary has scored shows like Battlestar Galactica and Eureka, and now he's busy with shows like The Walking Dead and Defiant. So how the heck did you get him to work on your web series? Right? I, know, I ask myself <laughs> every time I wake up. And people, and people do that. They're like, how did you get Bear McCreary? We worked on a student film back at, uh, at USC that I was, I wasn't at USC, but I was working on a film there that he was scoring that was a very nerdy project uh, called uh, the gamers where uh, it was about a bunch of kids who basically fall into their you know dungeons and dragons game essentially and i played one of the characters inside the game i played like the alter ego of the real kid i played sort of his magic user um alter ego in the game and uh that's when i met bear because he was he was scoring it and we just became friends and we've kept in touch with each other and sort of worked with each other tangentially you know, over the years. And man, it was asking him as a total Hail Mary. I mean, we're, we're tight and all, but I know that he is super, you know, famous and busy and working on every show. But I just thought I would have been a a horrible breach if I had not at least Mm -hmm. asked. I didn't expect him to have the time or, you know, maybe be interested. And I asked him and he said, yes, (laughs) you know, which was a huge surprise and uh, an awesome surprise because you can, as you watch the, the show throughout the seasons, you see also how he's grown the music um, and, you know, along with the show, because the show started out very simple and has grown into a very complex thing. And literally uh, Bear and his, uh, his team of guys have created scores that sometimes bring me to tears. I'm like, Oh my God, all this for our little, you know, our little show. But uh yeah, Bear McCreary, right? I know you and me are both geeking out. About <laughs> We're getting to the end of our time here, so it's time for rapid fire. Reaction time is a factor, so don't think too much. Answer with whatever comes to mind, and feel free to qualify why. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. It just had a, a, a huge influence on me as a kid. It's, it's, it's such a huge part of why I am who I am today. Um, even though I went to Star Trek conventions... Um, I was, Star Wars was my baby. Mm-hmm. Dark side or light side? Dark side. I mean, I, we, we all know it's cooler, but also because I'm a, I'm, I'm just sort of a very lighthearted guy with not a lot of darkness in my actual life. So I seek it out. I've, and as a kid, I have done that. I seek it out actively, probably in a, in a, in a way to, to balance my life, but also because it's awesome. <laughs> Marvel or DC? Tough one. Um, I'm going to say, oh God, DC because Batman, but I grew up on, on Marvel comics too. And it's probably why Moon Knight was one of my favorite characters growing up because he's basically Marvel's answer to Batman only in some ways uh, more complex. Hmm. Mac or PC? Mac. 
definitely. I, gr- I grew up alternating back and forth because um, my dad was sort of a computer freak. He was always trying to be cutting edge uh, from the very beginning. But uh, even from the beginning, my the, the Apple IIe, still I have some of my fondest memories of you know playing Zork on the on the Apple IIe and Wizardry. So uh, Apple, and I'm I'm do, I'm skyping from a, a MacBook Pro. So there you go. If you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Flight. I know that's a flight or the or the the ability to just explode people's heads. <laughs> would you use it to fight for good or for your own ends? I would probably I would end up using it to fight for good. I'd talk a big game about how I'd use it for, you know, evil, but that, I'm I'm much more it, at the heart of me. While I say I love Batman more than Superman, I am much more Superman in my heart than I am Batman. <laughs> Getting a little more personal, uh, what's your favorite role that you've gotten to play? Uh, I will tell you right now, that's an impossible question. <laughs> I've gotten to explore so many awesome things and, and you know, live so many dreams. But The Prince of Persia was one of my first games ever. And it was still one of my greatest, uh, you know, video game experiences but then kuma and gino on afro samurai you know i got to kick sam jackson's ass <laughs> when I ever do that in real life never um so that was kind of and i got to play superman on legion superman it's freaking superman come on right i didn't know where to go after that i you know i could go on and on you better go to the next question <laughs> what might have been your most challenging role um i think when I first started playing Sasuke on the Naruto, um, the English dub of Naruto, it was the first time I really got to play a very dark character. I had been sort of doing a string of roles. I started to sort of get typecast as the the young, naive, you know, good-hearted hero type guy. And this guy had blackness in his heart, and I do too. But it was it was a challenge for me to really to access it. So that was both exciting and challenging for me. So what might your dream role be? What, you know, genre, franchise, or property? You're asking a geek who has, who loves so many things. <laughs> One, I've always wanted to be the first American doctor in the Doctor Who franchise. Mm. I love that so much. But, I mean, I think you could tell from the, uh, the conversations we've been having, <laughs> you know, as long as I'm busting zombie heads or roaming the wasteland or on a spaceship, I'm a happy man. <laughs> if you could work with any creator, you know, writer, producer, director, on their next big project, who might it be? Also difficult since I'm a big film nerd. It might be a toss-up between, oh my God, I'm just going to start spitting names. Guillermo del Toro, Terry Gilliam, Quentin Tarantino. Like if I could mush those guys up, like John Carpenter in his heyday, the thing is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, those guys who have no rein on their imagination and not afraid to do things differently and uh, and tell stories that sometimes not everybody's going to get behind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's it for Rapid Fire. One last question before I let you go. What might be the geekiest thing you've ever done? Oh, my God. Okay. I stole... I think I stole Tom Baker. Tom Baker, who played the fourth Doctor, I went to a convention and he did, you know, a panel. He talked and then he fled the stage immediately afterwards. And I went up and I stole his water glass. (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking I was going to do with it, like clone him. You know, I had no idea. And I kept it in a drawer for years. 
and then probably got rid of it eventually because I can't, I couldn't tell you where it is. But why would I do that? That's, that's <laughs> um, yeah, but I could, I mean, look at my office and it's just a, it's a museum of, of geeky things that I've done. Well, we are just about out of time. So where can people go to find more about you and your work? Uh, you can easily stalk me on Twitter. Uh, there is a, a little website I have that has information about me at yurilowenthal.com. You can go to uh, shelflifeseries.com for information about the show, or you can just go to YouTube and look for the, our, our channel, Shelf Life the Series, and I recommend that you do. We're trying to, we're trying to hit 200,000 uh, channel views before our two-year anniversary, which is on June 29th. So if you've been waiting to marathon the show, and there are 43 episodes for you to marathon, um, by all means, uh, start now. Monkey Kingdom Productions is our, our website for the production company to see uh, maybe what we're up to at the time. And uh, voiceovervoiceactor.com has information about, uh, about the book. Uh, and speaking of books, uh, I've got a, a book that uh, is going to probably be published in the next couple of weeks that I wrote a while ago with a friend of mine um, called Tough City. And it's a hard-boiled sort of retro sci-fi noir kind of thing. Like if, if Blade Runner was funny, um, as funny as it was dark, sort of like that. And that's, that'll be both out as, as an ebook and as a, a print on demand kind of book. So yeah, that's what's going on. And that's, uh, that's where you can find me. All right. Very cool. Well, Yuri, thank you so much for talking with me. You've definitely got some geek cred. <laughs> well, thank you, Steve. Um, I, for, for better or for worse, I think you're right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. But if you've got any questions, comments, suggestions, or feedback, make your voice heard. Call 818-925-4335 or email geekcred at geekcred.net. You can also like GeekCred on Facebook or follow at GeekCred or me at Steve Rickyberg on Twitter. And as always, the show notes along with much more information are available at geekcred.net. For Yuri Lowenthal, I've been Steve Rickyberg, and that's going to do it for me. So until next time, geek on! <laughs>